and welcome to Best Girl Grip, the podcast that celebrates the women behind the scenes of the British film industry. I'm your host, Nicole Davis. Hello, pod pals, and welcome back to Best Girl Grip, the mini lockdown edition. Um, It's been a crazy and stressful and unprecedented time. I feel like all the adjectives to describe it have been exhausted, but at the same time, like the language actually doesn't fully exist to articulate what this is and what it feels like. I'm also really aware of pandemic saturation. Uh, It definitely feels like we're past the point of no return when it comes to the overwhelming amount of content that is available for us to consume um, with this supposed surplus of time. And I'm really conscious of adding even more noise to that. Uh, When lockdown first started, a friend uh, of mine said that it would be a great idea to reach out to guests that perhaps I wouldn't normally be able to get for geographical or logistical reasons. And I saw his point, um, but at the same time, I was coming off the back of having done series two for about seven months, uh, including two live episodes in one week. And I think I needed time to adjust to this whole scenario before thinking about how I could capitalise upon it. And to be honest, I'm still adjusting, as I think many people are, because the rules and the boundaries and the knowledge we have is changing every day. However, I have decided to put out a mini quarantine edition. Firstly, for selfish purposes, because the interviews have always been about connecting with women in this industry and just enjoying the simple art of conversation with them. And I'm particularly craving that at the moment. And secondly, my friend was right, because this is a great time to talk to women from all over the UK that being London-based, I might not usually have the chance to. And finally, if this edition can like offer people in the film industry a sense of affinity or kinship or just the sense that no one is working to their full capacity right now, everyone is juggling, maybe struggling or or re-evaluating, then to me it's totally worthwhile uh, adding just a little bit to the noise. Obviously all these conversations are taking place over Zoom, so there might be sound or connection glitches, but I figured if Louis Theroux and Adam Buxton and all these famous pod folks were having these issues, um, then it wouldn't matter if I did too. I think that's all the housekeeping stuff out of the way. So without further ado, I'm really happy to say I've got my first duo on the podcast in the form of Rosie Creer and Kira Barry, who formed their production company Barry Creer in 2016 and are based in Glasgow in Scotland. They're a relatively young company, uh, but already have a number of exciting titles on their slate. And uh, rather thrillingly, they're releasing a film they co-produced called Run, which is directed by Scott Graham, a filmmaker I really adore and who you'll hear me enthuse about during the interview. His previous two features, Shell and Iona, uh, the latter of which has a really great performance from Ruth Negger, are really intense and poignant and set in remote landscapes, and I highly recommend that you check them out. It was wonderful to talk to Rosie and Kira about their ambitions for the company and their desire to tell contemporary and cutting-edge stories that originate from Scotland but have universal appeal, as well as the advantages of working together, how they came to set up the company and how they balance responsibilities. Um, We do touch upon lockdown and how that's changed their day-to-day and whether they've learned anything from the experience. Not that that's a requisite, surviving it is enough. Run is a gutsy and gripping drama about thwarted dreams, masculinity and small town living and it will be available to download from Monday the 25th of May from all the usual platforms. This is episode 51 of Best Girl Grip.
I guess the best place to start then is with talking about how both of you came to producing, um, you know, how you discovered that that was a career um, and that it was something that you guys were interested in. I suppose I, yeah, I kind of always knew that I wanted to work in film and TV because I did drama from a young age and um, strangely uh, as my drama group were invited to take part in a kids TV show in Belfast and uh, we had to be extras and that was the first time I'd kind of sort of, sort of studio set up and kind of uh, intro to TV land and uh, I realised I didn't want to be on camera, I wanted to be on the other side <laughs> and yeah I didn't go to film school, I studied languages, French and Spanish and then got into cinema when I was living in France and Spain and, and studied French cinema and, and then yeah when I came back and I graduated I uh, got involved in one of the the UK Film Council funded short film scheme in Scotland which at the time was called Cineworks and uh, Digicult two kind of different schemes and began as a production assistant and then production manager and so really I was through short films that really big that I was introduced to producing yeah then here we are today did you know the role of producer existed prior to that or was it only once you were on set and making shorts that it became apparent who the producer was and what they did? Yeah, definitely. Actually, I did. I volunteered at um, Edinburgh International Film Festival the year that I graduated from my language degree and that was kind of an introduction to film festivals and only after that when I... Um, yeah through Glasgow Media Access Centre started to realise what a producer was and kind of fell into it from there. And Rosie how about for you? I also kind of from an early age wanted to to work in film in some capacity but I suppose I didn't really know in what for for a while because you know growing up in Glasgow when I spoke about wanting to work in the film industry I think my parents thought it was some kind of lofty idea of of Hollywood rather than anything more accessible. But I ended up from age 17, I think, was my first job in film. Well, initially I was a volunteer, like here at Edinburgh Film Festival, and then went back a second year and worked for them. And I didn't study film at uni either. I studied English literature. And whilst I was there, I worked as an usher at the National Film Theatre, as it was. Uh, and I suppose learnt more about cinema passively as an audience member in that way than um, than studying at university. And then after uni, I um, ended up working. Uh, well, I had a work experience at BBC Arts on the Arena Strand, right. um, and then I was employed by them. And I also worked at Amnesty International for their um, video communications arm. So again, looking at moving image but it was obviously from a campaigning perspective and then I end up working uh, kind of for various production companies and, and find my way through that way but for a long while I kind of um, worked across film programming for festivals and program management for festivals whilst also working as a kind of production assistant and aspiring producer of shorts I kind of straddled the two so it's only laterally I suppose in the last well, since we found a barrier career, but um, really the last five years that I've kind of prioritised producing. It's interesting to me that you both came up through festivals, and I'm wondering if that felt like the most accessible route to film or filmmaking at the time, or that was just sort of a happy accident. 
I suppose both Rosie and I came to, into film through a love of film and watching film. Um, so that's always a nice kind of uh, starting point, isn't it? Just the love of cinema and the love of, uh, you know, for me being in, in that dark space and, and letting all the images and sound wash over you. So I suppose, yeah, festival was a way in for me, but probably the real way into production for me was then uh, accessing the short films through Glasgow Media Access Centre and starting to meet filmmakers and realise, you know, what happens from the ground up in, in filmmaking. Definitely, I agree with the, the film festivals have been an entry point in terms of, you know, uh, passion for, for cinema and not really understanding the kind of the detail or the kind of the process of, of making films that kind of came laterally. But then through working in festivals was kind of met filmmakers and ended up involved in short films as well uh, and kind of learning that way. And speaking of meeting filmmakers, at what point did you meet each other? Because producing can be quite a siloed um, job in the industry. Um, so were you both actively looking for a partner or was it again like a, a coincidence and you realised you had a lot, a lot in common? How did that occur? Well, we actually just today were having a chat this morning, Rosie and I reminiscing of over all the years and uh, Rosie had remembered the story about actually it was Scott Graham's film, possibly one of his very early short films that uh, his first, yeah. brought us together <laughs> because yeah. I, um, I production managed Scott's first short film, which was actually called Born to Run and then Rosie. Um, I was programming um, for a kind of short film night, which ended up kind of being the precursor to Glasgow Short Film Festival, which I founded, but it was a short film night I ran in Glasgow. And, and yeah, we programmed uh, Born to Run and Kira and Scott and the kind of the local short film <laughs> Glitterati turned up. <laughs> and um, and yeah, that's that's where we we first connected. And then I, I we both ended up working with um, the producer of um, a number of Scots films, David Smith and his company, Brock Inspector, on a number of shorts which we produced with him through the company and also supported him on the development of various features, including Scott's feature shell. And, and how soon did you kind of feel like you'd hit it off? And how did that conversation begin about whether or not you wanted to go into yeah, a producing partnership together? I was, all, I was badgering her for years. <laughs> yes, she was. We were, Kira and I are his friends, I think, which is kind of the foundation of it all, really. And we're kind of, we work with David, but we also work with Paul Welsh, who's also another producer based in Glasgow. Yeah. And the two of them had a company together, which was Digical, which they developed new talent through via the UK Film Council, but also they had their own individual company. So we worked across the consortium and we were kind of upstarts <laughs> and always uh, wanted to have a, a seat at the table, I suppose. And, and just our instinct was, that we, you know, that we wanted to, to be making decisions and to be driving projects forward. And we had strong instincts in the type of films that we wanted to see and, and then make. The conversations were kind of jokingly discussed for for many years, you know, we've known each other for, um, well, since 2005. And it was only really, you know, like I went away for a couple of years working in London and in Sydney. And then we came, when I came back, we did talk for a while about working together and trying to get some projects off the ground. But it was only really made possible when we got the Vision Award because we, you know, we didn't really have the resources to do it prior to then. Yeah, I mean, talk me through, like, I'm not sure when the BFI started the Vision Award, but it seems like there weren't, 
you know many ways for a production company to sort of launch themselves prior to that so how did you how did you access that funding and yeah what's that experience been like of receiving that I, well, I was just going to say that it was back in 2016 that yeah, that opportunity mm-hmm. came up and we applied for the Vision Award. Both of us, you know, we worked maybe for about three or four years together in, um, when we first met, but then we, we went off and did different things within the film and TV industries. And, um, you know, I was doing festivals and script development and kind of practical production kind of across the board. Uh, like a variety of different roles and I think that over the course of however many years five six ten years kind of informed us when we got to the point of being ready to set up a production production company you know I think um whilst we produced short films prior to then the actual kind of responsibility and the kind of like the tr- strategic headspace I think you need to have to run a company you know that has only kind of come lastly and that was really the thing that the Vision Award enabled us to do. That also, like, it strikes me that it's quite good to have all that prior experience, you know, be it at festivals, programming, or as you say, script development, because in a way, a producer kind of encompasses all the, all of those roles. Um, and is that something, again, you kind of learn as you were doing it, or that was by design, or, yeah? I think as Rosie and I, like, as you said, we were friends for a long time, and we were working in various roles within film industry um and we realized that we kind of you know we kind of we did have sort of divergent backgrounds i was more working in production and product um and and actually just before we set up the company i was producing tv commercials so i had quite a lot of experience of uh, being on the ground and on set and uh, i suppose tv commercials in a way are like little mini films similar crew size and then but just made over a kind of short blast of time and then and Rosie with her background um in in festivals and in distribution uh, it just felt then when we were coming together we kind of had a real broad range of experience that we could take advantage of um as a team uh, and, come and we'd together. also learned by doing I suppose so many shorts uh individually uh-huh. and yeah collectively as well through you know supporting the because we worked together on the new talent short film scheme in Scotland. So I think that process kind of informed it. But yeah, I think mm-hmm. the breadth of experience really kind of contri- contributes to, because, you know, a, a producer, nobody really knows what a producer is often. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that is because there's so many different types of producers that you can be, I suppose. And as you say, there's so many different um, areas. It's kind of all encompassing. And it's quite rare to find one person that's able to do to do everything but also you know it's a lonely place as well as a producer and to be able to kind of share that journey and that load with somebody that's a friend as well is um you know it's definitely been and as you know over the last couple of years as well as we've both become mothers it's been something that we've been able to kind of sustain our company and produce a number of films and have two babies (laughs) it's been quite uh kind of a juggle but and something that we we wouldn't have been able to achieve single-handedly yeah Let's skip ahead to that sort of juggling process and talk about the logistics of your relationship and how you how you decide on what projects to take on. Are you always both um, in conversation with each other or are you kind of uh, doing separate projects that you'll then kind of have a dialogue about, but there's a lead producer on one, you know, how, how have you figured that out and what works best for you? I think because we're coming at it from being friends, we always from day one of setting up the company, you know, both of us sat in the same room together and just talked through things and uh, used our instinct 
and uh, to yeah to do the work that we do so everything has always been very organic I suppose but um, I suppose as well for us it feels like we set the company up in 2016 we're now in 2020 and that for us doesn't feel like a long amount of time uh, it still feels like we're you know a new company and still finding ourselves and, and still working towards what our original ambition was in terms of being a company working in Glasgow and the types of work that we want to make. Yeah and I suppose you know when initially as Kira said initially we were working across everything together and then we kind of recognised that um, we could split our roles a little bit and so then um, whilst we produce everything together and across everything together one of us would lead you know I would lead more in development and Kira would lead more in production and that was kind of our aspiration in principle but then obviously we both had periods of maternity leave and so that's kind of shifted again and now obviously being in lockdown and Kira's literally just returned from maternity leave we're discussing again as to how we we move forward so yeah we're definitely I guess the thing is it's consciously an evolving thing you know it's it's not static we're kind of we're trying to preempt and it's also kind of dependent on on the projects and the relationships with the writers directors that we're working with it as well i'm really interested there you talked about a bit about instinct how did that develop for both of you in in terms of being able to trust your instinct because obviously as a producer you're working on a project for a very long amount of time so you you really do have to be invested and you have to love it and and ha- yeah how do you know that you're boarding the right project for you through trial and error i guess <laughs> yeah i guess we've, we've made a lot of short films together uh, and individually but also you know you're you're constantly learning i don't you know we recently co-produced our first film run with uh, margaret matheson who's in her 70s and she's each production i think she would recount her experience of looking back and she, she always talks about the kind of the process of learning and i think that is the exciting thing about being a producer that you're never you know you're never fully there <laughs> you constantly each project is throwing up different demands and, and making you think about work in a different way yeah it's always shifting always changing and you have to be able to learn and shift and respond as you go but in terms of instincts I guess well both of us you know our, our roots are in stories you know as well as I can have a love for cinema we both studied um or well, studied languages and I studied literature and so there was definitely kind of a, a basis in, in storytelling and 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 then more broadly I think working in Glasgow well, away from the kind of epicenter of the UK film industry and seeing the type of work that's coming out across the UK and, and when we set up the company thinking about what we weren't seeing coming out of Scotland, you know, and trying to kind of find a way to navigate that and um, to respond to that and wanting to kind of to present more representative work from Scotland other than you know, the stereotypical, um, often like reductive versions of Scottishness that we've seen on the screen before. And where do you think that lack was coming from? Is it, you know, is it that the writers weren't feeling supported or that the, the talent was there, but it wasn't being distributed? So, yeah, can you talk me through kind of where you think that lack originated from and how you went about filling that gap? And I think for us, you know, Rosie touched on it a bit. We, you know, spent, spent 10 years living and working in Glasgow and getting to know a city uh, which has such an amazing music scene, art scene um, and theatre. And then we we sort of felt there was a lack um, of Scotland on screen, you know, where was the cinema culture? Yes, there has been some films produced, but I guess um, filmmaking is a costly business and, and perhaps... 
for one reason or another, there just wasn't maybe the volume of films being made that reflected the sort of modern contemporary Scotland, Glasgow that we knew. But with that, we didn't want to kind of explore work that, you know, wanted to be outward facing and outward looking with that. You know, we're not um, mm-hmm. parochial. We're thinking about Scott, like the unique culture that is here and the diversity that is here that hasn't necessarily been kind of explored or interrogated on screen so that you know one of the things that we've often said is that, that you'd either have a kind of an americanized kind of tartan shortbread version or a kind of gritty realist on the other end of the spectrum and actually in between there's much more kind of contemporary innovative and kind of form shifting potential than in the work coming out of scotland that could come out of scotland but yeah i think but without it you know without these voices then we end up being a servicing industry you know and without any agency or autonomy in the stories we tell and I think for us that kind of I guess it's political maybe um that is kind of like a kind of founding thing it's always in, in the background it's a kind of part of our ethos to try and tell contemporary innovative stories which we haven't seen before and obviously you mentioned, yeah, you were founded in 2016 and you're still a very young company, but I'm wondering how, how those ambitions might have changed or perhaps where you'd like to be in you know, another four or five years time. I suppose our ambition had always been as a company was to, you were two women ourselves, was to work with female talent and you know, recognising the dearth of female talent in Scotland and in the UK as has been a focus, I suppose, in the industry over the last couple of years. Uh, we are still working towards that. I suppose filmmaking, uh, we have to acknowledge, is, is a kind of slow, long process. And uh, a lot of the talent that we started to work with, we're still in development on their first films on. Um, we've got a great project in development with a writer-director called Adura Onishile that we uh, are developing with BBC Films. And we developed it through iFeatures as well. Projects like this, which, you know, we started working with Adura right from the beginning in 2016 when we went to see her play at the Fringe, Expensive Shit, which won a Fringe First Award. And we're kind of on a really exciting uh, journey with Adura uh, towards making her first, her debut feature film. And that's the sort of work that uh, we've always been ambitious to produce yeah, I guess that's the reality that we've been, you know, you're in development on a slate of projects and um, when you're initiating them, it can, and when, when it's first time filmmakers, it can take a while, you know, three years is not a long time in the journey of, de- of, of script development. So in the meanwhile, we've um, been co-producing other projects which have allowed us to develop our, our skills and, and to keep our company going. I suppose, should we talk about Run? I guess Run is... Um, kind of a slightly different scenario because whilst we co-produced it with Margaret's company, Bard Entertainments, we produced, we are you know, credited as producers alongside Margaret. Yeah. We um, came on board that following, you know, we've known Scott, as Kira said, since 2005, worked across many projects with him. And when we set up our company, we um, reached out to a number of different filmmakers that we'd kind of come up with um, through shorts and kind of checked in with them to see, you know, um, about the prospect of working together on particular projects and, and Scott was one of those um, so we had actually started to talk to Scott about a new film that we were going to develop together because he was in latter stages of developing Run but he asked us to to come on board Run with him and, and Margaret um, generously supported that so that was a brilliant experience for us as 
my first time producing a film to, to be doing that. When you're talking about sort of long gestating projects as well, you're, you're developing projects at the moment, how do you stay motivated when obviously the timeline is so um, malleable and subject to change and can often, you know, stretch for you know, two, three, four years and beyond? So, yeah, how are you staying fully invested in a project? I suppose for us, you know, the beginning point is always the talent and start by connecting with writing and directing talent and we meet them and we get on with them and we want to share in their visions and uh, go on that journey with them. I think you're also kind of the personalities that you're, um, you're not, you know, we're, we steer things, you know, we have a momentum and I don't think we have, and the process of developing stuff you, you do it incrementally you do it by stages and so there's always whilst you're thinking kind of more broadly strategically as to where you want the film to end up you're having to break it down and work through the steps as they come and you're kind of having to navigate it um and find your way through as the process of writing evolves so i don't feel like keeping momentum isn't necessarily a struggle it's almost like you're, you're spinning lots of plates at once as a producer. That's kind of the nature of, of what we do. And um, that's part of the, the thing, I guess, that inspires us to keep our, <laughs> to keep moving forward, right? Because we, we are thinking about the end result. We're thinking about the film mm-hmm. in the cinema. And um, that's the thing that drives us through. Um, and so we're trying to kind of support the people who are creatively leading that process to, to get there. Um, our other ambition when we set up the company was, you know, to make work from Glasgow, which is where we both call home. And most of the talent that we work with are also based here um, or, or in Scotland, at least, um, because we wanted to be able to work, you know, I guess the benefits of living in a small city, we live near where we work. And, and um, you know, uh, we're able to meet people face to face. Yes, we do go down to London normally at maybe once every couple of months. But for us, it's really nice to be able to yeah, be based here, work here, be close to people, be able to meet them face to face rather than jetting up and down the country to, to meet talent. I'm wondering if there's anything that you find particularly unique about the film industry there or, you know, perhaps something that people wouldn't realise about the Glaswegian film industry? Well, I think um, it's the Scottish film industry, I think, more broadly, like Glasgow is the, the centre of the... I, mean, I might get some people in Edinburgh getting annoyed at this. <laughs> <laughs> in our humble opinion, uh, West yeah. is best, you know, um, just joking. <laughs> Glasgow is the, where most production, film-based production companies are operated from. Obviously, films are shot all over Scotland. Um, but a lot of crews are based here as well. I think it's maybe it's just part of the culture of of being in a in a smaller city and a different experience from from being in a in a big city like London. You know, everyone, a lot of people know each other. There's not many film um, production companies. So there's a kind of camaraderie, a sense of togetherness, I suppose. And we know most of the crews. We know the funders. We know. I guess also the other thing is like the crossover, as Kira was saying, we've been inspired by, you know, art more broadly. And the crossover between other art forms is is quite accessible. You know, people kind of straddle a lot of different because we're working in a small industry, I suppose. Often you're, you're working on multiple different projects. We have different people coming from different backgrounds working working in the industry. So that is another thing, I suppose. 
Yeah, that's actually the really nice thing about, you know, being here and looking back over the last couple of years, um, having got a couple of productions under our belts is that, you know, we are starting to, yeah, we, you know, always have this, some of the same faces popping up that we work with. There's that familiarity um, and getting to really know people and the talent that, that are here. So the crew from Run we've gone on to work with on the shorts that we've uh, produced and the co-productions that we're work, we've worked on. And is that sort of important for you as producers as well to sort of have that ecosystem of support? Because again, you know, you mentioned that it can be quite lonely and even even when there's two of you, it can sometimes sort of feel like you're, you know, pushing against the grain. So to know that there's that support out there, is that, you know, valuable for you guys? Well, we want to work in a sustainable in- industry that supports people to have families, that supports people to have a life outside of their work. Uh, the film industry is like notoriously a hard industry to work in. And I suppose Rosie and I, we set up the company, wanted to think about, you know, doing things a little bit differently, start to think about the working day, how um, viable is it to shorten that day so people can be with their families um, and just think about nicer working practices which I think from our first production from Run we started to implement those and just you know really think about people's mental health and being there for people and trying to be supportive and understanding and, uh, and sort of being a producer where you're maybe at the head of all these cogs in the wheel you know we wanted to have more of a kind of a, a nicer, happier environment for people to work in, because that's the sort of environment that we want ourselves want to work in. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like people working in the film industry are particularly susceptible to that, you know, burnout or, or stress? Or, and how, how do you manage that when you come against it yourselves? I think it's just bad practice, isn't it? Over decades of working every hour that God sends. Um, and I suppose at the moment it does feel like perhaps the tide will turn a bit and the UK starts to look at other European countries where the working day is shorter. And yeah, people are starting to be a bit nicer to each other. So hopefully things can change and we can be part of that change. And let's talk about Run, because I've loved Scott Graham for a really long time. Um, you mentioned Shell and Iona, both of which are fantastic movies. You obviously work with him on his short films. Um, mm-hmm. so, so talk about that relationship with Scott and, and the process of, of putting this film together. That's nice to hear that you love Scott. <laughs> Where did you first see his he'll, film? He'll be delighted. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think I came across when I was working at the BFI. And I watched, uh, yeah. I, I watched uh, Iona first and then Shell. Um, and just yeah. really love them both. Love the fact that um, you know young women were at the forefront of his films. Kind yeah, of really rugged landscapes and um, mm-hmm. the wildness of of their characters as well was just mm-hmm. onto that. And then so then the counterpoint of of you know this one a wild wild young man who's feeling quite you know trapped and contained. Um, Mark Stanley's mm-hmm. a great upcoming actor as well. So yeah, very exciting. Definitely cast is up there as one of the, the, the really brilliant things about Run. Uh, we loved working with Mark Stanley and Amy Manson and Marley Sue and Anders Hayward. Uh, really make a great cast. You know, it being his third feature, did it, was it quite easy to kind yeah. of package it and sell it? Or was it still quite a hard sell and quite, you know, a hard project to, to pull together? So it's a hard sell in that it's difficult territory, difficult terrain. 
at the moment, as everybody in the, in the indie film producers know well, the, um, trying to finance an art house film, an art house filmmaker like Scott Graham is always going to have its uh, difficulties. With his third film as well, like we um, brought on BBC Films, we were grateful that they were able to come on board and so that kind of goes at a different scale, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the ambition with it being his third feature was to kind of stepping up a, a level and to resonate more widely um, with audiences as well as obviously his previous work has had some critical acclaim. We were really looking to to have it for run to, to be a story that managed to kind of straddle well, the art house dream but also to have uh, to connect in with audiences more broadly. The reality of making a story that you know Scott was always very kind of driven by the authenticity of the script and I should say you know as Kira mentioned Born to Run the short film was Scott's first short film he actually wrote a first draft of the feature run around that time so this is based and inspired on his hometown of Fraserburgh in the far northeast of Scotland in Aberdeenshire and um, it's, it's a story that's always um, been there for him and so I think we've known that as well for a long time that we've we've known Scott and so yeah just to go back so actually kind of shooting the film in his home community and and, and really kind of zoning in in that idea of of authenticity that is um, sometimes a, a kind of challenge when you're also trying to kind of reach when you know when you're talking about authenticity and you're talking about um, north of Scotland that is quite kind of strong dialect it's quite you know for, for the community that the film explores, it's um, quite kind of marginalised, socially disenfranchised community. It could, you know, fall into the realms of realism, but then also we kind of want to explore that as a backdrop. But um, what, what would happen to to a man who who's you know his, his dreams have been forgotten? His kind of over a seventy-two-hour period, his um, kind of falls into reconnecting with his forgotten dreams almost and so there's a kind of our aspiration was that there was a kind of dreamlike quality to to the driving sequences a kind of more heightened kind of cinematic uh space with the music and um the cinematography uh to kind of counterpoint the the more realist context hello it's me just pressing pause on the interview to say you're now going to hear an audio version of run's trailer Tell me you had the weekend to think about it. Just have to think about it. Where do you see yourself in ten years? Why can't I ain't get far ahead? You always get to choose. You can. I'm hungry. Aggression. Not so bad. Man, you used to ask me to run away here. We didn't run very far, did we? I just thought was another way to elevate. Where's Kev? Disney can you've got his car, does he? You wanna race him? 
against them tonight. That's what I mean. How can someone love you one day and they love you the next? Run had its world premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival in New York and then its European premiere at the London Film Festival in the UK last year and was due to be released in UK cinemas around the time the coronavirus pandemic flourished. So let's jump back into the interview with Rosie and Kira to talk about how they pivoted their marketing plans and embraced a digital release for the film, which is happening on 25th of May. Courtesy of Verve Pictures. Well, Verve have been big supporters of Scott. They, this is their third they um, released both Shell and I Wanna and recognising that this story, you know, whilst rooted in, in Scotland, had, were kind of keen that, well, we felt that there was um, a wider appeal given the universality of, of the themes of the right launch pad would be in Scotland. So we kind of prioritised the theatrical release around Scottish cinemas. And off the back of that, we're, we're planning to go more widely and then um, onto the digital release. But because uh, the lockdown happened around the same week I think of the of our theatrical release that was uh, cut short um, and obviously had a pretty devastating impact on on that for us so we brought forward the um, or Verve has brought forward the the digital release um, to 25th May and we just thankfully I think some of the press that we had we were still due to be releasing over the theatrical release we've managed to hold back so that will kind of signpost the digital release and then the BFI doing a, a, a screening and a, um, a Q&A with the cast and Scott I think on the 27th of May so yeah we're just trying to put everything into into the digital release now we've got a number of different platforms which are going to be streaming the film and it's quite heartening I know like the assistant did really big numbers for Curzon Home Cinema recently um, when that you know, had to be pivoted to the VOD. So, you know, that's that's quite exciting that there is a possibility for that there. Do you think that will, I don't know, change the way you work or the way the industry works? Or you kind of think that as soon as cinema reopens, we'll kind of pivot back to that straight away? Yeah, it's so. definitely, yeah, in interesting times. I mean, um, obviously at the moment with production stop, there is going to, there's going to be um, a, potentially a shortage of content. So the fact we've got a film under our belts that is going to be available digitally and uh, people are yeah watching a lot of stuff via streaming at the moment, uh, which is great. Still interesting to wonder what will happen at the other side of this, whether there will maybe be a resurgence in cinema of people excited to be able to be, be act, to be out and able to watch a, a film, you know, communally together in a room uh, in cinemas when they do reopen. Um, so who knows? And I'm also wondering how the pandemic has affected uh, the way you work more generally and whether there are any practices that you think you'll retain once lockdown is lifted. So it's been highs and lows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, poor Kira just had has returned to work post maternity leave mid pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> so that's been a, a. So I haven't even, Rosie and I haven't even had the chance to sit together in the office from me coming back from that leave. So we've missed that. But I suppose one of the things is maybe, maybe it's about having time to reflect. And obviously things are a little bit slower for us. 
over the last uh, couple of months as we try to figure out and navigate a way forward as a production company and how to survive and trying without to being get, in production yeah, mm-hmm. without being in production but yeah with focusing it again on development so yeah it's and I think as well you know we both you know we live in flats we don't have gardens we have um <laughs> Kira has a baby I have a toddler and um so that has definitely meant that we've had to kind of snatch a few hours here and there you know we're not able to kind of consistently spend kind of a full day sitting working we're, we're definitely doing the juggle but mm-hmm. um I think it you know having you know when you're in production you're working really hard and you're working long hours and you're um often away from from people in your personal life so there is the balance to it you know if we're actually having some time to kind of think about like how do we take the good from this experience and, and make it work for us in the future you know working remotely um we've got two films that we're in post-production with at the moment and we're we're working remotely on those in, in ways that we wouldn't usually be working in um and it's going well right so like how do we use um like positive learnings from this experience to ensure that we're able to kind of maintain our work-life balance uh, in a healthy way it is pretty interesting for us actually because i think we're only i mean it's only been a couple of months of lockdown but as rosie said we've got live projects in post-production we are figuring out ways as you know each as each day comes about how to make those projects work and to get them delivered and we're about to do um we've just got picture lock on a short film we're producing with abc films and uh rosie is leading on uh, post-production on that and uh we're going to be doing a grade with technicolor remotely which is kind of pretty interesting exciting terrain for us considering that actually a lot of the time when we do post-production as producers we do travel to london and work with some of the facilities houses in London um, and always travel and it means being away from home and maybe um, as we venture into this new terrain I wonder does it mean that you know potentially in future on projects we don't need to be, be traveling to London as much and we can do more work remotely uh, which is quite exciting thought for us I suppose. Yeah and I mean obviously we're kind of dependent on production to survive and that is vital to us but to be able to actually kind of take stock after a really busy three and a half years you know um to actually kind of review where we're at we've got a slate of projects and in development and a couple that are gearing up to production and we're now kind of embarking on picking more projects for our slate for this kind of next stage of of development and that is you know we're we're fortunate like that we can that we can do that that we can you know obviously as a producer you you can't survive on development because your fees are nominal but you know over this period a lot of the funders are reviewing the balance of of producers fees and in development and are taking into into account the fact that production is unlikely to be coming back anytime soon so um yeah there's there are positives (laughs) you mentioned there that you've been juggling uh lots of priorities and i know you both have young children um baby and a toddler and i'm wondering what you felt the whether you felt that the industry is supportive of women having having to do both roles um and yeah what your experience of that has been like for instance i know raising films have got an initiative now where they uh, facilitate mothers bringing their young children to film festivals um so have have you felt those strides being made or is it still uh, yeah a difficult balance yeah I, I think we've kind of explored that well, I, Tribeca, we, when we premiered Run in Tribeca, I went, uh, I took 
my husband came with our seven-month-old baby, mm-hmm. and and Kira also kind of had was on honeymoon around that time as well. So we had kind of interesting juggle. I think we had often had the aspiration that we could, you know, work, and then after, once work was done, we would be able, able to have some um, time with our families alongside it. But I I, I wonder if sometimes it actually that those things need to be more kind of cleanly delineated, you know, because I think actually kind of trying to navigate both simultaneously mm-hmm. makes you feel that you're not doing either properly. And yeah. um, so in terms of actually going to a film festival, I'd rather go to a film festival for a shorter period of time and just work very intensely for um, three days as opposed to the five days that I might have been there previously, but go on my own in order to get it, you know, to be kind of time efficient. Um, then go and have my family there in the evenings and feel that I'm compromising my time with them because I've got to go to an industry function or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think ultimately it's about your circumstances and I think it's about choice, right? So I think the options need to be there for people to be able to, who who can't leave their, their child at home, to have their child with them. You know, there needs to be options for everybody dependent on their circumstances so that nobody's shut out from, from the conversation. What do you find to be the most rewarding part of producing? Like, you know, I always, like, I get really excited in development conversations, particularly like story-based conversations with, with writers or in the edit with directors, trying to kind of, like, the creative conversations are the things which kind of inspire me more than, you know, what time we're having lunch. <laughs> um, but, you know, all of that, it's all important, right? Like, you know, I think that's the thing about producing, you're kind of thinking like bigger picture you're trying to think you have to kind of take into account at once you know because everybody's got their doing their kind of specific role and has their specific expertise and in a way you're like as a producer maybe you're the generalist you're the thing which kind of the through line which kind of takes the film from beginning to end but everybody that contributes is is um, probably more specialist than you but I love that kind of that that kind of that journey with the film that you are navigating and that people and the expertise that they bring along the way. And speaking of collaboration, are there other people in the industry that you can go to for support or advice, you know, mentors, anyone that you kind of looked up to or whose careers you wanted to emulate? I think that's, you know, when you're setting up a company and it, you know, we're, Rosie and I have always looked to other companies and other producers to figure out how other people are doing it and to try and be inspired and find a way through. So there's lots of people, a couple of producers probably in Scotland and as well in London we've connected with. Yeah, we like we've always looked up to like um the bureau mm-hmm. and um Element in Ireland, well they also have a London base, um, as kind of companies that with, with work who are producing work that we really respect and mm-hmm. also seem to have a kind of well, we know the bureau at a personal level, some of the producers there and we know um we really like their approach but on a kind of um, mentor level I suppose uh, we've been fortunate last year we had last couple of years we had this a great mentor in Lee Magadie you're a producer she produced uh, The Favourite and um, The Lobster The Lobster thanks <laughs> <laughs> my mind <laughs> and Lee is a very generous open-hearted kind of down-to-earth person um, like Kira and I both you know some elements of the industry are quite kind of can be quite brash and showy and um, quite aggressive and I think we really respond to people who are 
not so much like that. <laughs> and Lee is one of those people, you know, she's very thoughtful and story orientated and um and yeah we just really liked her as a person and she has given us some really good advice um and then also i'd say margaret matheson who we co-produced run with you know she's very pragmatic and very transparent person mm-hmm. and producer and has taught us a lot about and also very generous with her time and and her advice but yeah, she's been a great mentor as well. And is the industry quite transparent in that regard, in that people, you know, share their working practices or their methods, or is it more on a relationship basis that once you get to know someone, they'll be that person for you? You know, how, how have you navigated that? I'm not sure if it's maybe a generational thing because it was yeah. felt like when we first set up, there weren't many that many other producers who were our generation that were producing new work in Scotland um, and the older producers to us maybe were all kind of doing their own thing and maybe not as collegiate as as they could have been I suppose as we get to know people and uh, we start to share more and to talk more and, and get to know the other producers here that have maybe more established than us. But I think that's shifted over the course of the years that we've been um, going as well you know, in yeah. Scotland there's um a group called the Independent Producers Scotland, um, which is kind of uh, a network of, of producers who come together to, to lobby often, but um, that's been a kind of a resource and a kind of um, support for us. But also across the UK, because we were on Vision Award, we, we met a lot of producers, more of our generation through mm-hmm. that. And we've maintained relationships with them and can you know meet up with them when we're in London or at film festivals. and. Um, we're also part of a, a group called Producers Anonymous who are uh, doing these weekly Zooms through the course of um, the lockdown. Um, so we're connecting in with like 50 producers every week from across the UK. And I think there's definitely strength in numbers and especially as we, we don't really know what's ahead of us in terms of productions and how we, when we're going to be able to get back up and running um, with productions and how we're going to navigate that. Um, actually having a shared space to kind of raise those concerns and I guess it's you know maybe previously you wouldn't be so exposing because you know ultimately often people are your competitors but uh, in this context I think people are very willing to to share because we're all faced with the same um, concerns. Absolutely. And finally, um, what is a film that you've seen recently? Um, it can be an old release, short or feature length, you think is an undervalued gem by a woman director? So we were thinking about this and I, um, unfortunately, over the last couple of years, haven't been going to the cinema as regularly as I would uh, usually like to because of um, a certain little person. <laughs> However, uh, and for me, that's a really, you know, like I really enjoy being in in a cinema and um, seeing cinemas and the big uh, films on the big screen, but so the last one of the last films I saw before lockdown was a film called Proxima by Alice Vinicor, mm-hmm. um, who's a writer of Mustang um, at Glasgow Film Festival, and I that really struck me. It's about um, a female astronaut who has spent her whole life working towards the opportunity of going into space, and whilst when that opportunities that finally arrives uh, she's having to navigate the, the juggle of being a mother and leaving her daughter behind 
Um, so obviously on a personal level, that, <laughs> that has some resonance, but I think also kind of politically, it kind of raises uh, questions and themes around, you know, the, the entrenched attitudes facing working women and in a kind of in patriarchal institutions and how we navigate that with as um, as mothers and our, our kind of our, our emotional selves. A film worth visiting and we love her she wrote um, Mustang and we love her we love that film as well. Yeah. Have you seen Disorder? I think that was her first feature. No it? actually I haven't so I need to I need to. That, that's um, really good. I think she does amazing thing like you know like really sort of big concept films. Um, yeah like space I mean really (laughs) but makes them really accessible and small yeah yeah she's brilliant at doing that yeah I suppose just two other unknown gems would be the um filmic to the filmmakers that we're working with Ruth Paxton is one of them and her short film Be Still My Beating Heart which has enjoyed a nice festival life over the last year um yeah it was meant to be a classical short film festival unfortunately and um that festival was postponed. Theresa's um, a great talent who we actually haven't spoken about so much but she's you know we've worked with her for a long time and Rosie produced her first short film, her first yeah, kind of, two um, films. commissioned mm-hmm. film uh, and now we have a feature in development with her um, with BBC Films which we're excited about um, and the other uh, short film that we have in production is called Expensorship from writer-director Adura Onashile. Uh, who is a Glasgow-based theatre writer and director and and making the transition to screen. Um, So we're hoping that this expensive shit short film will be will find a life uh, once it's delivered, whether that's online or festivals online next year, we'll see. Uh, And we've also got feature in development with her uh, with BBC Films, which we're also very excited about. Amazing. And also, where, where can everyone see Run? Run is released on the 25th of May digitally, um, and you can find out information about all the platforms to view it on through the Verve Pictures website, vivaverve.com, and it will be available for download on Amazon, iTunes, Curzon Home Cinema, Sky as well, I think, as well as the BFI player. So 25th of May. Brilliant. Rosie and Kira, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for downloading this episode of Best Girl Grip. There's plenty more in the archives if you are keen to delve in. And I'll be back next week with another episode recorded during the lockdown. Please do take care of yourselves and your loved ones as best you can during this time. And if all you achieve today is listening to this podcast, that's absolutely okay. Okay.